Well, the spotlight is on you, quite literally, because when I looked around and there was um, multi-storey car parks nearby, on every one of those multi-storey car parks there was a TV camera, so the media was out in full force. So I won't forget that. <laughs> um, and on that first day, I was very conscious of the fact the eyes were on us, you know, for people waiting for something to go wrong. Geotechnical engineer Tony O'Brien is talking about one of the most unique and challenging engineering projects ever undertaken, the new Wembley Stadium, with its landmark arch that today dominates the North London skyline. Raising the arch in 2004 captured the eyes of the world. You know, it's one of the most iconic structures in the country. And as an engineer, I realised I was at the centre of it. Nothing like this arch had ever been constructed before. It had a steel tubular truss standing 133 metres tall with a span of 315 metres. It was fabricated on the ground and then lifted into position. With its ends anchored to the grounds by massive hinge joints, the arch was slowly rotated upwards, through the vertical, to its final resting angle, 22 degrees from perpendicular. In terms of loading for the foundations, we had every load combination you could imagine in terms of vertical loads, horizontal loads, moment loads and torsion. It needed deep understanding of engineering physics and the interaction between the ground and the structure. But at the same time, there needed to be a simple way to monitor the impact of the complex loads on site as the final element was lifted into place. It also needed simple and rapid pre-planned contingency measures on standby if monitoring indicated the need for corrective action. To do this, Tony and the team of designers at Montmacdonald turned to one of civil engineering's best-kept secrets, a method which time and time again has been used to deliver world-leading projects safely and cost-effectively. In some cases, it's been the only way forward when other methods have failed. Its name is the observational method. Welcome to Engineering Matters. I'm Bernadette Ballantyne. And I'm Johnny Dowling. And in this episode, we've partnered with consultant Mott McDonald to find out why the observational method has become one of the most effective civil engineering methods that you've probably never heard about. Before we hear more about Wembley Stadium from Tony O'Brien, we need to understand what the method is. And to do that, who better to talk to than the person who pioneered it in the UK? having learned it directly from its US-based inventors. Alan Powderham is a retired civil engineering consultant and previously Director of Transportation at Mott MacDonald. He helped pioneer the observational method and then successfully employed it all over the world. The observational method is a natural and powerful, and here I underline formal technique, that addresses the actual performance of real structures to maximise economy and assure safety. It was pioneered by Carl Texagi, known in the geotechnical world as the father of soil mechanics. And the principles were formally set out by Ralph Peck in his landmark ranking lecture in 1969. We will link to this lecture in the show notes. 
Ralph Peck was one of the most influential engineers of the 20th century. He earned his doctorate in civil engineering in New York in 1937 and wanted to become a bridge designer like his father. But there weren't many bridges being built in the US at that time. The country was still reeling from the Great Depression that began with the Wall Street crash of 1929. Eventually, he secured a position as assistant to Arthur Casagrande in his soil mechanics laboratory at Harvard. And this fortuitously led to his appointment as the site assistant to Carl Tetsagi on the construction of the Chicago subway. Casagrande was another pioneer in the fields of engineering geology and geotechnical engineering. But it was Peck's work with Tetsagi that led to the development of the observational method. The observational method is used to improve efficiency and safety during the construction of deep excavations, tunnels and structural foundations. It links geotechnical design with the construction process. Ground behaviour is carefully monitored and the design can be modified to improve productivity and reduce cost. Importantly, these modifications are pre-planned with the objective of reducing risk, ensuring safety and saving time and money. So where do you begin? You start with the ground conditions. And these, of course, will range from the most probable, in your judgment, to the most adverse. And it is essential to assess how these conditions will relate to the proposed design and construction methods. Structures interact with the ground, and it's important to consider this. Ground can swell, heave and squeeze, flow and collapse, and this behaviour changes depending on many factors, such as the site geology and the site history. These ground conditions must be understood before designs can be produced. The nature of the structure being built, the construction process, and any existing structures in the vicinity also need to be fully understood. From this assessment, the critical observations can be established. In that, the key not only is to use engineering judgment to establish what is a critical observation, but also the ability and facility to be able to track trends, be they adverse or favourable, rather than recording events. Ideally, one wants just one such criteria. Imagine building an underground metro station box in soft ground. Design codes are geared to risk mitigation, anticipating the worst possible ground conditions, and generally without the flexibility to improve design during construction. This may require installation of extensive temporary support consisting of thousands of tonnes of steel props. However, there is a very real possibility that the performance of the ground is better than the design code state, and that this underground station box could be excavated safely with less support meaning that much of the temporary propping can be omitted, saving money, allowing faster construction, reducing the project's carbon footprint, and actually making the project safer, because there's less heavy steel work to be lifted, fixed and removed at the end. Instead, the observational method allows the design and construction team to track performance trends during construction and focus on critical parameters. As Alan says, preferably just one, to ensure safety. In this case, it might be the maximum deflection of the retaining walls of the new station box. While knowing what's allowable and what measurement would trigger the requirement for action, 
Action that's pre-planned and understood by the whole team. This is called progressive modification. So progressive modification is basically you start from one position of agreed safety and you move to another of agreed safety. Closely observing the soil structure interaction not only enables better management of risk and value, it also provides a more detailed understanding of the ground itself. This can be very valuable later in the project or on other projects, but we'll come back to that idea later. Alan and his team pioneered the use of the observational method on the UK section of the Channel Tunnel in 1988. It was being built under a design and build contract by the Trans Link Construction Consortium. Well, the Channel Tunnel was a pretty high profile, iconic project. Uh, and of course, the most awareness is the fact that it goes under the sea. But there are some very important land-based works and that is where the opportunity to apply the observational method arose. In fact, it developed almost spontaneously in an environment that was already full of change and one that was fertile with opportunity to creatively connect design to construction. The opportunity arose on three tunnel portals on the UK side of the tunnel. Well, there were th these three cut-and-cover structures, the portals for the tunnels at Holywell and Castle Hill. They were designed conventionally with piled walls and a roof slab, which during the temporary process were supported by temporary steel strutting. The contractor was keen to get his tunnelling through Castle Hill moving and the first portal that was constructed to achieve this was Castle Hill East and I was approached with the request of how we could reduce the amount of this temporary steelwork support and the time that it took to install and remove so that he could get his tunnelling operations proceeded. My response to that was that this indeed could be possible, but we'd have to make some critical measurements, which meant that he would have to allow for some instrumentation to be incorporated into the design process. These are the critical observations that we explained earlier. Basically, it was quite simply to measure the deflection of the retaining walls to these portals to make sure that their movement trends stayed within an acceptable allowance. This they did, and the information from that first portal was then fed into the subsequent portals with enhanced structural arrangements. The benefits were immense. This culminated in achieving nearly 90% savings at the last and largest element of these tunnel portals, the UK portal itself. This housed a vast underground space to accommodate a crossover for the high-speed rail lines. The elimination of 2,000 tonnes of temporary structural steelwork was unprecedented, particularly since this huge cut-and-cover structure was built within the toe of an active landslip. This experience in the late 1980s led to a surge in the use of the observational method, with Alan and his team using it on a range of incredible projects over the next two decades. 
This led to its success on the new Wembley Stadium, where Tony was wrestling with the very high-profile challenge of lifting the famous arch into place. This was in the summer of 2004. Wembley was an absolutely unique situation um, in, in civil engineering. So the arch itself is probably the most slender structure of its type in the world. We had to raise it into position because that was the practical way of building the arch. Wembley's sweeping steel arch supports the stadium roof, but it's also a landmark architectural feature. As Tony says, it's incredibly long and slender, yet it weighs 1,750 tonnes. The only practical way of building it was to weld it together at ground level and then haul it up into position. This was done using five sets of four hydraulic strand jacks. These would pull cables passed over turning masts to give a good lifting angle. Each end of the arch was fixed to a base by a hinge joint to allow free rotation. Each of these elements, the jacks, the turning mast bases and the arch hinge joints rested on deep concrete piles and the forces exerted on those piled foundations were incredibly complex. Vertical, horizontal and rotational along both vertical and horizontal axes. The loading which he was going to experience during that process was very complex indeed because the jacking forces in part depend on the stiffness of the foundations. Now, when those foundations got built, the full analysis of the whole lifting operation hadn't been finalised. So those piles were already in place. And this is quite a common feature of many major projects actually, and why RM often is quite suitable, is because things change during major projects. You know, they evolve. In terms of loading for the foundations, we had every load combination you could imagine in terms of vertical loads, horizontal loads, moment loads, and torsion. So we had over 121 different load combinations. At each increment of arch raising, meaning there were ultimately thousands of possible load combinations. One option was to strengthen some of the foundations as a precaution, but this would have been expensive and caused huge delays. Instead, Tony saw the opportunity to deploy the observational method. And this meant determining a single, simple, clear parameter that could be monitored and acted on, along with a simple contingency measure that could be rapidly installed. So in the end, what we measured was the rotation of each pile foundation, so the pile cap rotation and its horizontal displacement. Everything resolved into that. So as I said, we had literally hundreds of different load combinations and potentially things could move in lots of different directions, but that's ultimately how we boiled it down, which then meant we could resolve things in a quite simple way to what the critical observation was, which was rotation of the base effectively. Um, so we could then just have a single set of traffic lights. Traffic lights are one of the key innovations that Alan introduced to improve upon Ralph Peck's methodology in order to make OM user-friendly for the site team. If the critical observation stays in the green zone, there was very low risk. Moving into the amber zone meant the risk was slightly increased, so more frequent monitoring may be required. 
If it went into the red area, there may be need for protective action. It's important to note here that the traffic light system is fundamentally about moving from negligible risk to low risk, and at every stage there are pre-planned contingencies ready to be used. And just as importantly, changes which can be made are not just for adverse situations. Beneficial changes can also be introduced. This is a key benefit of progressive modification. At Wembley, this was the use of counterweights that would be placed on the back of any jack base that rotated beyond a set trigger point. Tony says that identifying a rapidly employable contingency is absolutely crucial, and without one, the use of the OM is a non-starter. This, he says, is why teamwork and trust between designers and constructors is fundamental to the use of the observational method. The other crucial aspect to Wembley was, despite all these complexities, in terms of how the arch was going to distort and how the bases were moving. The contingency was simply to address potential tension in the rear piles of a pile group. And the contingency was as simple as placing a big counterweight on the back of a pile group. That was it. So simply pour mass concrete on the back and that, that addressed the risk. So that was something that was very simple. Well, the whole thing went absolutely smoothly. This really was a unique application for the observational method. Yet civil engineering is full of unique operations because the ground and structure interaction is never the same from one project to the next. Learning from experience is therefore critical and it's one of the reasons that Tony joined Mott MacDonald. One of the reasons I joined Mott MacDonald was partly because of Alan. You know, I became aware of him as a very, very young engineer because he was doing things differently. And as part of doing the observation method, it's a rigorous, it's absolutely rigorous method. Perhaps a better term is observational control or the verification process. You know, it is rigorous and, and, and Alan is very much rigorous. You know, he's very tough on getting the fundamentals right. Over a period of 30 years, Alan and Tony worked together using the observational method on projects large and small, bringing this simple but effective approach to geotechnical design and construction. After Alan's retirement, the two wrote a book which is packed full of detailed case studies. The observational method in civil engineering was published in 2021. For civil engineers, the book is essential reading, and as you might expect of Alan, it contains rigorous detail. Alongside the Channel Tunnel and Wembley, it explains how the observational method was used to rescue the Heathrow Express Tunnel after a disastrous collapse in 1994, and was so successful that it was used on the Heathrow Airside Road Tunnel in 2001, and to excavate the enormous basement for Heathrow Terminal 5 in 2005. More recently, the book describes the use of OM on London's Elizabeth Line Railway, notably to recover 12 months lost on schedule due to unforeseen obstructions during excavation of a major shaft at Moorgate, part of the Liverpool Street Station. One of the most challenging situations was its use in the US on Boston's Central Artery Project, where huge concrete boxes were jacked underneath operational rail lines. I think within probably a few weeks of starting the engineering doctorate, I was in Boston in the US, walking around some of the biggest jackbox tunnels in the world and Alan was going, yeah, I kind of came up with this and uh, I was like, wow, this is pretty cool. This is Alistair Hitchcock. 
now head of engineering for HS2 Phase 2. But at the time, he was just starting his PhD in engineering at Southampton, and Alan was his supervisor. So we actually parked a full-size, cut-and-cover, interstate highway tunnel underneath an operating railway, parked and in frozen ground. The Boston Central Artery Project was the largest highways project in US history. It replaced a congested, elevated highway with an underground road network transforming the city. Alan and his team worked on one of the most challenging sections, where the new highway needed to be constructed beneath seven operational railway lines. The original design specified cut and cover construction, which meant excavating from the top down and moving the existing railway. Alan came up with a new approach that would enable the existing railway to remain open. He suggested that they box jack, basically push in, three 12 meter wide, eight meter high road tunnels beneath the live railway. He was keen for young engineers to learn from this amazing project. The timings were such that Alan had been working on the, the Jackbox tunnel in Boston as part of the big dig and sort of said, look, I think this is a great opportunity because we've been sort of doing things around monitoring trigger levels. This would help Alistair with his PhD research and provide experience on one of the world's most challenging projects. It was just incredible. The ground conditions were possibly the most complex that Alan had ever encountered, with buried structures, contaminated land and a high water table. Basically, this area here, where we were going to tunnel jack, was half in the sea. It had seven railway interconnecting railway tracks, because they had the freight and the commuter trains all going into South Station. And this was reclaimed land over the last 200 years, and goodness knows what was in it. To ensure the project's success, the team used the observational method with its effective traffic light system to monitor the existing railway lines and the ground movement as the tunnels were pushed into place. None of this could have been constructed, not even one little bit of it, if the conventional scheme of cut and cover had been used. But because we didn't move the railway, they were able to go ahead and put this in two years early. This innovative method won awards all over the world and provided Alistair with valuable experience that he took with him to Heathrow, where he spent much of his doctorate examining the observational method in use on the airside road tunnel, which was built ahead of the new Terminal 5. So what we were doing was measuring the movement of the walls as we excavated. Using Alan's traffic light system, we stayed within the green zone, so that's the safe zone below the trigger levels. A trigger level would have led to a series of pre-planned escalation measures, which would have been, you know, uh, more rapid meetings, more, more monitoring, and then getting ready and prepared to implement a contingency measure. Working for HS2 now, Alistair has the opportunity to consider the observational method from the perspective of the designer and the client. One of his enduring memories is of how the method brought the whole site team together. I think part of that is sort of having a, a, a sort of a technical leadership and charisma about convincing people that it's the, the right thing to do. And, and Alan and team, we were part of the team that helped sort of do that. Um, but the thing that, that really struck me and I always re remember is that being in the sort of the site cabins with a standalone monitoring computer uh, and initially no one was there, no one was interested. And then after a while, I was aware of when I was entering the data, a whole arc of people behind me, construction guys, the designers, and I'm like, oh, 
and they were all they were all sort of, so what's what's happening you know what what's happening to the trend and i was like oh, it's fine it stayed with it oh great you know go go at that point it really came home to me that actually they they all bought into the philosophy of what we were doing and what the benefits where they could see some tangible benefits and actually as the as the project progressed and the uh, the monitoring data confirmed we were in the green zone we were actually able to make a call to increase the rate of excavation this example of the power of the method highlights one of the most critical aspects of using the observational method. Something so important that Alan and Tony made it the first chapter of their book, The Art of Achieving Agreement. In other words, demonstrating to the project owner, independent checkers and contractors that the approach has a strong business case, is technically sound and manages and mitigates all risks. Recently, the use of digital technology and specifically machine algorithms is making this much easier. This is something that Rob Talby knows all about. I'm a geotechnical director for Mott McDonald and I work in foundations and geotechnics in Croydon. Rob has been using a powerful new geotechnical engineering software called Darwin, which supports and complements the observational method. Back in 2021, we saw a technical startup company called Sal Geomechanics based out of Barcelona. We understood the product that they were creating, which was the Darwin software tool, to bring together and house the ground model, the numerical model, which was the prediction of the design, the instrumentation. And they had, importantly, uh, an algorithm uh, at the heart of Darwin. And it was that machine learning algorithm that carried out the back analysis. Back analysis is the process of comparing the observed behaviour against the predicted design. This data can then be used to ensure that the design is as safe and efficient as possible. We saw that as a very important piece of software. It would enhance our offering to clients to implement the observational method, keep us at the forefront of technology and at the forefront of consulting to carry out this work. We made an equity investment in this startup company and we've been supporting them commercially, marketing-wise, and also technically. The next step in the journey was to demonstrate the value of Darwin on a major project. The team saw a lot of potential on High Speed 2. That journey started with uh, an application to HS2, to their innovation team, to um, use the Darwin tool and the observational method as an innovation tool. This was for three sites on phase one of the project, on the Area North contract, where Mott McDonald is working for contracting joint venture Balfour BT Vinci. So we thought with HS2 and our, and our work on Area North in and around Birmingham, we were going to be carrying out a lot of excavations in the Mercia Mudstone. Now, historically, there had not been many large excavations in the Mercia Mudstone. So the true back-analysed and understood parameters of the Mercia Mudstone had not been truly documented. However, the team's experience in working in this type of ground led them to believe that it would perform better on mass and in situ than the borehole data indicated, meaning there could be major scope for savings. This was put to the test at the Bromford Tunnel Eastern Portal and Extension. This was a rectangular excavation being constructed to launch the tunnel boring machine, which will go on to create the 3.5 kilometre long Bromford Tunnel near Birmingham. And within that extension, there were due to be three temporary props. 
as part of the implementation of the observational method there, it was decided that we would trial it and uh, omit those three temporary props. It would help with construction, time and money. Sophie Smith is a graduate civil engineer at Mont MacDonald. By carefully measuring movement in the walls, she helped the team to use the observed data to understand the actual soil structure interaction in real time. So they asked me to do all of the instrumentation and monitoring review within this observational method implementation as they were excavating. This used a couple of different pieces of equipment. So there were two um, inclinometers, so they're like drilled into the wall and they measure the movement across the depth of the wall. And we also had some like laser scanners uh, firing across the wall. Essentially, if you were to get like a massive ruler between the two walls and uh, measure to see how close or far apart they are, and you can measure that over time. Using Darwin, these observations were then back analysed in real time to determine the actual stiffness of the Mercian mudstone based on the observed movement. Combining this with the design models and running through 4,920 different scenarios led to a more accurate deflection profile, which confirmed that the three temporary steel props were not required. The strength of the soil was better than expected. This was excellent news. Hock Leong Liu was the geotechnical engineer in charge for Mott MacDonald. Since we found the findings, we, we were very excited. What we found was the, 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 the in-situ behaviour of the ground is much better than and stronger than what we observe in our uh, uh, ground investigations. This is a game changer. A game changer, because stiffer, stronger, better performing ground meant that there was less potential for deflection. First, uh, we shared the good news with High Speed 2, we shared the good news with the contractor, saying that this is great, uh, the ground is much better, the, the observed work deflection much smaller than original predator in the original assured design. This was particularly good news for the contractor because the Bromford Tunnel Eastern Portal is on the critical path for the construction of the tunnel. Less temporary works means less time. Through the success of this, um, uh, the application of the OMA Bromford Tunnel East Portal, we understand much better now this geology, which is called Mr. Milestone. Meaning that these findings will now be used on other excavations in this type of geology with the potential for massive savings on cost, carbon and time. Not only this, but Darwin itself will become more intelligent. Now, if we repeat the use of Darwin on a number of projects in different geologies, we then have different back-analysed parameters for different geologies and even within say a certain geographical or geological area we'll hopefully get a whole series of back-analysed parameters and we're creating a database of real back-analysed parameters. So then we know the difference between the true back-analysed parameter for a, a, a geology within a geographical area like London or Singapore and that helps us with future design. Because previously we might have thought the, the, the answer was 100, but actually the, the true answer is 120, and we can make that saving because we've got the evidence. Darwin can also be used for the future planning by using the software to investigate the sensitivity of different parameters. That may be friction angle, that may be 
cohesion, that may be stiffness, it could be water pressure. And we vary those parameters and we see how it, the structure we're designing responds to those changing parameters. We then understand the most critical or sensitive parameter and that then focuses our mind on the ground investigation and defining that parameter as that's the one that governs the design. With decades of experience in this space, Tony is well placed to understand the potential of technological development, which he says must be combined with engineering wisdom in order that people don't focus on the best mathematical results at the expense of the best engineering solution. Certainly in some of the work I've done with, the, um, with Darwin, it's very clear that you've got to interrogate it in a way to recognise that there's things which are nearly optimal in terms of mathematics, but actually make a lot more sense in terms of engineering, in terms of the fundamentals of the ground behaviour and the structural behaviour. But as Hock says, using Darwin with the observational method is delivering game-changing results for major project teams. It's also saving money and reducing the carbon footprint of construction works, which is good news for the wider industry. Well, I think, I think it creates huge opportunities for the, for the industry because if we're getting better data from instrumentation and monitoring, which we are, if we're able to do better analysis, which we certainly can, by combining that, we can get a much deeper, richer understanding of ground structure interaction, ground behaviour, underground structure behaviour, the impacts of that on existing infrastructure. So that will give us much deeper understanding how construction sequences and processes impacts on that behaviour. Such a huge benefit for the future, for the industry. So, so that's a massive opportunity to save carbon, do things in a more sustainable way. Not just for new assets. Tony says the observational method could be used to monitor structures that already exist, so the infrastructure standing today lasts longer. Increasingly, we're looking at asset management as well. So the observational method can be used in many, many different ways. It's been used to look at asset life and to prolong the asset life of dams, of um, offshore structures. So instead of thinking we've only got a 30-year design life, maybe we've got a 60-year design life. So for future generations, that could be a huge benefit. Engineering Matters is a production of Rebe Media. This episode was written and produced by Bernadette Ballantyne and hosted by Bernadette Ballantyne and me, Johnny Dowling. Editing and series supervision by John Young. Sound engineering by Ross McPherson. And the man who maximises our efficiency is Rory Harris. Thank you to our partner for this episode, Mott McDonald, and thank you for listening. You can find us on all podcast apps, on our website, engineeringmatters.reby.media, and on LinkedIn.